0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets.
1: Where, if you get on it now, you can enjoy their lobster and clam bake, which is something you order and take out. The final dates of the year are September 12th and 26th, and if you go to Zupan's.com, you can see how those differ. They usually have uh, a different uh, wine pairing or champagne pairing with that. So you enjoy that at home. It features lobster tails, clams, wild shrimp, and kielbasa and i can tell you we had one of the uh, i think the first one of the season and it was seriously a fantastic meal and we were able to sh- stretch that out to actually four portions two different times we were able to enjoy what was there i think we put some lobster over pasta
0: oh nice for the second,
1: for the second night so and it's always a treat out here to get lobster I love um, crab, but I prefer lobster. And when I can get my get my hands uh, or my fork on some, uh, I'm in I'm in happy land.
0: Hey, also three things that you don't want to miss in uh, your local Zupan's store: the tasty trio. Talking fresh figs, it's a late summer favorite that pairs perfectly with cheese, honey. Top it on pizza, throw it in your salad. We love to do figs when you do you do like a charcuterie board, which is a great thing for you to grab at your local Zupans and just add some figs into there and it's money. You you you'll it's, be you'll be loving it.
1: It really is special. It's not something I really discovered till I moved out west. They also have fresh dips available in their deli grab and go. They're created locally, speaking of figs, by Three Little Figs and feature spinach, three cheese artichoke and french onion made with Three Little Figs french onion confit.
0: Very nice. Also, don't miss out on their signature burger. It's the perfect way to close out the summer, created with a blend of ground sirloin, short rib, and brisket. Comes in at a half pound. The signature burger is ground only once instead of twice, and that gives the burger a coarser consistency and an eating experience that is more like a steak than a burger. And Chris, you've had this, and you love it.
1: I've had them quite a few times. So when you go into Zupans and you're at at the meat counter, you're looking at beautiful ground beef or, or their signature burger making a decisions. And I usually go with both. So uh, get, just have one of the, try one of the signature burgers or two. um, And, uh, and the ground beef is great too, but it's, it would be a shame if you were standing there making a decision and pass up that burger because it is fantastic. It cooks up really nicely, medium rare. um, uh, Something
0: to really enjoy and definitely something to think about as we head uh, towards the end of the summer Labor Day is just right around the corner. Get get some of those for the uh, Labor Day barbecue, which would be pretty great.
1: There you go. And you can pick up that burger at any one of three
0: locations you start, Court. Well, you got uh, West Burnside. And McAdam. Mm-hmm. Lake Oswego. And, of course, we're? Zoopans.com. Here it is. Time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures.
1: Thank you, Court Johnson from Kink.fm. Over there on the other side of what we're using is Zoom. And it works for you and me because we have good connections. But um, we've been trying it with guests and it doesn't always work perfectly. Uh, But as you know, I've been watching... Quite a few interviews on cable TV, and their connections are not that great. I think people are getting used to it. Right.
0: So, I, I think people are getting used to it. They're also realizing, oh, maybe I should up, up, with, up the uh, bandwidth that I've got, you know, the, the download speed that I have coming into my home. We went with the full gig baby at my house.
1: And it made a difference?
0: Oh, man. I, I can do what I'm doing right now, and both of my daughters can be streaming on their tablets and have no wow. issues at all. Yeah.
1: Wow. So that is a good point. I hadn't really thought of it, but yeah, bandwidth um, is going to become increasingly dear to people oh, yeah. as they're operating out of their homes more and more. So, um, But I can't wait to get back in the studio. And I will say I'm looking forward to, let's just tease next week before we talk about this week. I'm looking forward to interviewing Greg Higgins again, Yeah. and we're going to talk about what life has been like for him and also Piggins, his new little... Is Well, I guess it is little compared to a restaurant food cart. So looking forward to doing that. But I will say, just for those who've list, who's been listening, and thank you for listening to the repeats that we've pulled out of the archives for the last, from the last six years, we still think they're relevant. That is part of the mission of the podcast is to have interviews that can stand the test of time and be evergreen. And so one of the reasons we decided to just go to interviews for this, uh, I'm sorry, repeats for the summer was because we did two and a half months worth of podcasts addressing the pandemic and what restaurants were doing and how it was affecting them. And we really thought, well, after this year, uh, and we've heard a lot of those stories, but after this year, they're not going to be anything anyone's really going to want to call up and listen to. So we're looking forward to when we can get back to interviews and maybe in the interview address what went on during the uh, pandemic. But uh, we really like to have the podcast be about the backstories and the experiences in the journey of our tastemakers in Portland. And that's why when we get back to it, we'll look forward to when the um, talking about the pandemic for those who are still surviving. Right, the restaurant industry um, isn't the isn't the main topic. It's it's you know we're through it and we're talking about what went on before that and what's going on now. So um, I'm looking forward to Greg Higgins. We interviewed a few years ago and he's uh, you know been around for a long time. So I am. I, I really like him, and he's got a lot to say. So I'm looking forward to getting back into the swing one-on-one, interviewing him in Higgins uh, next week, which we hope to have ready to release next Thursday, maybe Friday, because the interview is going to take place on Wednesday. So, um, But the matter at hand now is another veteran and a great guy from about the same era in terms of birth um, in Portland, and that's Ken Forkish, who – Uh, Many people know through Ken's Artisan Bakery, Ken's Artisan Pizza, and uh, most recently, opening one of the nicest restaurants in Portland and then closing it, Trifecta Tavern. Mm -hmm. But you can still get some of the items, the bakery items and the pizza down at Checkerboard Pizza. Um, down at uh, Pine Street Market. Uh, One of my favorite places to go for lunch is Checkerboard Pizza. That's another one of uh, Ken's creations. And we should mention, he's also one of Portland's most prolific food authors.
0: Yeah, he literally wrote the book on pizza.
1: Right. And he started with a book in 2012, Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast, The Fundamentals of Artisan Bread. And then, you're right, Court, The Elements of Pizza. Yeah in 2016 unlocking the secrets to world-class pizza and and that it is he's not just saying that but his pizza um and if you know ken's artisan pizza is a little different than that which you get at checkerboard where you go and get slices um so he really knows what he's doing and he's mastered two different um modes of pizza Mm -hmm. in portland and uh also really nice guy. He's got some good New York stories. We go back um, with some baseball fandom together. So um, I think everyone, he, he's, he is one of the most important food people in Portland. And therefore, we thought it was appropriate we bring him out right now to for people to revisit if they've listened to it. And if they haven't, it's a great one to listen to. It still stands up.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right at the Fork is supported by Zupan's Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupan's Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam and Lake Oswego or Zupan's.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality. Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the old boxer ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host, Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteris of Urdaneta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austria Enzyme. Wet your appetite and get more information at PortlandFoodAdventures.com or contact Red at the coast Chris Angeles, for more details.
1: So, yeah, actually, I went to dinner last night. I'm so, I'm so geared towards posting pictures on Instagram, you know, because I do what I do with Portland Food Adventures. Yeah, so when I go out, it's an opportunity to... Right showcase some of the great spots in portland but i actually had a i had a meal at la moule last night and walked out and realized i hadn't posted a thing and i was so happy about that because dinner was so nice i didn't even think about it you know
3: after a while i look at you know i go through my instagram feed or my twitter feed and after a while you know i'm not even paying attention and it's like do i want to participate in the hey look at me thing every day or like some people it's like every half hour absolutely not
1: Well, I think in this world, it's advertising, right? It's for, especially for businesses like yours. It is, you know, and I used to
3: work in advertising in, even in the the late 90s. I was in the very early days, of the internet internet
1: advertising. Oh man, that scared me out of advertising actually. (laughs) Yeah,
3: back in those days, we would go to conferences, and the theme of the conference would be: "Is there a future in internet advertising?" I think we figured that one out.
1: <laughs>
0: well, I'm well, the
1: there's answer. a future, but it certainly is more complicated than mass media advertising. I know, but just right, like court
0: radio is easy for the it's well, it, it has its own struggles. Well yeah, but,
1: but how to advertise on radio and knowing how many people you're reaching. Oh sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 been around for a hundred years, so yeah, you can Right. Just and it. there's some branding involved. With right. The internet, no one takes into consideration branding, which is what social media does a little bit, yeah. I think.
3: I don't know. That's like my first consideration. Like when I send out a tweet with a picture, I don't expect somebody to come into my restaurant that night. Right. Um, but if I do it enough and get the theme across then. Yeah, the whole idea of branding is it seeps into the public consciousness. But we're invaded by advertising and branding and marketing in so many more ways than it even was 10 years ago. And I'm like, well, it's probably not going to stop. And after a while, you just sort of tune out, which is why I'm sort of losing some of my enthusiasm for doing what I still do every day, just posting pictures to Instagram. Well,
1: yeah, that's not what you got into it for. But what's interesting about it is what I think social media does. It's different. and And is it's a little more believable. It's not someone programming a slogan and trying to sell me on something. Hopefully it's, it is. It's,
3: those are the ones that you might actually pay attention to.
1: That, unfortunately, we've been programmed to pay attention yeah. to those. But, oh, you mean the the posts that aren't right. programmed? Right. Exactly. And right. But nowadays, you know, for years we lived with slogans and we lived with everything they wanted to shove down our throats. And, by the way, I was in the business, so I guess yeah. I, wanted, I shoved a little bit down people's right. throats. But now I'm just leery of it. When I hear a slogan, I'm just like... Fuck. It's, it's, I don't know, but, yeah, slogans used to be, like, really cool. Right. And now they're... Even if they're witty, they're contrived. It's like, right. that's, there's some, that's, not, that's... That's a generational
3: not, thing, too. You know, I like, like the old White Owl commercials. You know, spend a little
1: dime on me. The, oh, the White Owl commercials. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God, there are a lot of... Mar- but they had to be clever... We've been, I've been watching the old Dick Cavett shows on, on oh, uh, Hulu, and you get the same thing. Out Did of you it. ever
3: see his interviews with Richard Burton? It's like three nights in a row.
1: No, but I have to. I'll reference that because they have them on they're Hulu. Brilliant. I think yeah. I've seen
3: that. Yeah, they're um, brilliant.
1: Court, Court and I were just talking about this because he a while ago we talked, about, and I'm sorry to divert, but it's interesting no, but we're conversation. Just here to talk,
3: whatever we talk about.
1: We were like talking it. about he. No one's ever told my story, which is I think it's. You have an interesting, no,
0: you have a very interesting story.
1: Right. So he was going to, he said, why don't I, or we kind of talked about his interviewing me on the podcast for one. And and, well, I thought, and then I was watching the Merv Griffin show and he actually did that years ago. He had Dick Cavett come on and be his guest host and interview him to sell his book, (laughs) which was, and then I saw it and I called court and I said, I don't know, man, I thought that was so contrived. Of Merv Griffin It to sounds do. cool
3: until you said to sell his book. Right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, ah, <laughs> right. uh, well,
0: it seems manipulative. So what would the purpose be, Court, to sell people on the podcast? I think well, it's I, just- To sell Chris Angeles, because again, I, you have this fascinating story- Story, Chris. So for me, that's that's why I brought it up. Don't, I don't need to be. Yeah, sold, but sometimes
1: but,
3: we want to. We just want to be entertained. We don't want to be sold.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I was just about to say. We don't need to. Se- I don't want to sell anybody on me. Maybe the, the Chris Angeles brand. There are we're couple, talking about of, branding. a couple of women that I would want to <laughs> sell on me. But, <laughs> but at any rate, um, you Ken. Speaking of selling on me, your pizza has sold me on you from the get go with all the pizza discussion in Portland. And there are some great pizza places. You know, we discussed this. We've discussed this in the past. Yeah, I come from New Haven, so I'm a little yeah, bit of a snob. Of I consider myself a, a more of an authority as a layman, as a consumer, than someone from Omaha.
3: Yeah, I actually question the authority of New Havenites. Um, <laughs> Good. Because it's a very specific slice of what pizza is. Sorry. You, you, I mean, it's a very particular kind of pizza. And you don't find that kind of pizza done that way anywhere else. And a lot of it just comes from the ovens themselves. Well,
1: when they try, it's not successful. They burn yeah. it. Well, first of all, people have to understand it because they're not there. Right. But right. We know whether it's a, a, a style or not. It's still great pizza. There are people. You know, New Haven's a town, a city with I don't know, 150 pizza parlors, and Is three or many? four of them. Yeah, they're well, at least in the region. You know, East yeah. Haven, the whole. And there are three or four of them that have lines out the door at four o'clock. So they're pretty, uh, you know, they're pretty incredible. And so I don't want to get into the white clam thing yet, but we will. Um, <laughs> Just give them time. But, so where do you, what do you consider, so what was your baseline for Ken's Artisan Pizza or when you started making it over at the bakery? What was, were, <sighs>
3: that was kind of the thing. My baseline was really more dimensional, like uh, physical characteristics, I wanted a pizza that was the size of a a dinner plate. And even, well, we started this uh, Monday night pizza at my bakery in 2005. That was not very common back then. Uh, Usually when you had pizza, it was a larger, like an 18-inch pizza. Right, right. Um, now, of course, you see it at a lot of places. It's common for wood-fired oven.
1: Do you think you started that trend in this town? I mean, uh, it's I all over I the place. started but... it, but
3: I was uh, certainly one of the early adopters. I, Kathy opened Nostrano before I opened Ken's Artisan Pizza. Uh, but I did, was doing these at my bakery. Actually, Kathy was working at my bakery doing pizza night with us for about five or six months, getting her pizza chops up
1: before Boy, it would be so so cool. It would be so cool to we have had fun together, too. a machine to, to be able to pick a year. And go back and do stuff like that in Portland. You know, Kathy yeah. making pizza with you, going back to Naomi's uh, suppers. That would be right. fun to just be a fly on the, the right wall. Suppers. Even sitting at the table would be great. But even a fly yeah. on the wall watching that would be great. So yeah, totally. I didn't realize that. So did she? Is did you? And she learn pizza together?
3: Uh, I don't really. I didn't really look at it that way. I think she just wanted to get her pizza chops up. She, hit, you know, she'd made pizza, but um, it's not like she needed to learn from us. Uh, but we talked a lot about dough and. Um, you know, it's when you're going live in your restaurant, you want to have a little bit more hand experience. Uh, and that's what it was all about for her. Uh, and I think that was a period of time. She wasn't really working that much. Uh, so she had time to give, we had a good time together. It was fun. So do you, I think remember- we took advantage of each other's experience base points of view and skill sets.
1: Well, I would think so. And yeah, do that was the whole idea. Do you remember any uh, light bulbs going off back then? Like, okay, here's how I here's how I up this pizza this much. Do you remember any of
3: those? Uh, no, not really. The only the only thing I wanted was um, we were doing a margarita with arugula, which has always been one of our signature pies. Uh, and this is you know, back in 2005. I just wanted to see from Kathy's point of view how you top it with the arugula. And it was seems weird, but. To me in before we did it, I'd read about margarita with arugula pizzas. I had one at A sixteen down in San Francisco. And I was I was kind of fascinated about it because, you know, I grew up on New York style pizza back east in Maryland where I grew up. And so the idea of putting basically a salad on top of your pizza was weird. But I was still it was compelling at the same time. Uh and all I just wanted to see was like proportionally <clears throat> how she would do it. And it's then a lot of arugula. It's a lot it's not just a lot of arugula. Actually the really important thing is um that you just dress it very, very lightly in olive oil with just a touch of uh, sea salt. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Uh, Without the olive oil, it comes out a little bit on the dry side, and I don't like dry food. Especially pizza. Especially pizza. So anyway, getting back to your earlier question, was uh, what template were we following when we opened Ken's Artisan Pizza? Um, And it was really basically picking up on the pizza style we were doing at Monday Night Pizza at my bakery, which we still do. And it was more about the architecture of the pizza. I wasn't trying to... Do um, a Neapolitan pizza. I wasn't trying to do any other specific pizza. Uh, we just wanted a thin crust, wood-fired oven pizza of a particular dimension uh, that we liked to eat. And uh, so, like as a segue, when I was working on writing my book, The Elements of Pizza, uh, I started out thinking, "Who am I to write about pizza?" Because I've been making pizza professionally at that point in time for a short nine years, and. Like, the word pizza alone is just so loaded with, like, what is pizza? You ask yourself, what is pizza? And it, that word means a different thing to no matter who you talk to.
1: Right, but I don't think it's necessarily a time thing. How many, how many pizzas have you put out at, in, in that nine-year period versus what someone else may have put out in 30 years in a small little place in Maryland? Right, right. yeah, right. totally. It's so, funny,
3: I grew up eating pan pizza. Uh, a place called Lido's was usually our go-to for pizza. And their crust was a little bit greasy. And, the only, and it was flaky, and the only way you can have a flaky crust is if there's fat in the dough. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably started out using yard, lard, mm. uh, probably segued the shortening, just guessing, you know, 50s and 60s U.S. Uh, but I asked them, and they were like, they wouldn't talk to me.
1: Really? Would <laughs> yeah. they talk to you now, do they think? No, absolutely not. not. No, was,
3: I'm writing my book. and you could I cite call, them. That would Lito's be good for them. They have like, so I write very short about this, because it was the pizza I grew up with. And so I called... Lido's headquarters, and they've they've franchised out, so they got like sixty five places now or some you know, big number. Oh, now yeah, now. They and have, so all of a sudden, I'm deal. talking to some guy who's wearing a tie in his office, and I said, "So here's the deal. I'm writing a book. I grew up eating Lido's pizza. The crust is flaky. Yeah, it can really only happen if there's some fat in the dough." And you know, from his point of view, hes I can just tell alarm signals, fat in the dough, don't tell the <laughs> public, right? And he, all he would tell me is, oh, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to give out our recipes. I mm. like, I don't want your recipe. I just want to know, are you guys using fat in the it's dough? It's like the 11, 11 herbs and
0: spices in, in the KFC in his mind. He's like, you can't get that out. Or right. he just doesn't want people to know again. Well, not only that. There's, there's fat this, in the a
1: marketing guy, and he's worried about legal problems. Yeah, he's worried he about want everything. Yeah. Yeah, nothing good is going
3: to come out of this. From and his he point doesn't know
1: how they make the pizza anyway. Probably the guy you were talking to, I would imagine. No, of course,
3: doubtful. Actually, Lido's has sort of a, a a funny history. The the founder had business partners. They had a split a long time ago, um, and
1: well, know, that usually so happens to the, in a history of a a place. How where many? Where actually, a, a, a cash business. It right. starts out a cash business, right? Yeah, that made a lot of money. So, have you been back to
3: have Lido's recently? It doesn't appeal to me now. Um, It did when I was a kid. Last time I had Lido's pizza was probably six years ago. Oh,
1: that's recently. Yeah,
3: Um, Langley Park, Maryland.
1: And how was it? Uh, It was all right. Because I go back to Post Corner Pizza in Darien, where I grew up, which was Greek pizza, incredible. These guys went from make flipping burgers to, hey, let's put a pizza oven in the back. And they had... it was just delicious, and that's what I grew up on. That's what set me the, the foundation for you know heart problems later on. It was <laughs> you know, there was a Greek family making pizza in Hyattsville where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, are there a lot of Greeks, uh, American Greeks, that make pizza? I think in, uh, up and down the Gold Coast in Connecticut, there are quite a few Greek people. Pizza places and they're great. Uh, yeah, this is good. That was yeah. my hometown pizza. That's what I started on. And Darien? Pretty, yeah. Sure. But you go back now, and my buddy Jeff Rydebak, who owns Homegrown Smoker, he's from there. And he's, he. I've been back a few times, and he warned me. He said it's not going to be the same. They sold, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you can definitely tell the difference. But on the other hand, it's apples to oranges because I'm older. My tongue is older. My palate's older. My expectations yeah. are different. Totally. Um, so I don't know. Do you have, you have pizza that you've gone back
0: to your well. I'm a product of the '80s, so by and, and I grew up in in rural Utah. So it was so it was pizza. Oh, Hut. pizza
1: capital of, of yeah. The, it, was, uh, it was Pizza
0: Hut, Little Caesars, or uh, you know Domino's, Godfather's Pizza. You know, so corporate pizzas. It was corporate pizza. Was corporate pizza. So that's yeah. what that's what I grew up on. And so yeah. I, I remember the first time I was in Italy and I was having an authentic Italian pizza, and I was like, "What is this? What is this?" I've changed since then, just so you guys Yeah,
1: well, that. now you have the. Uh, you live in Portland. You can't right. do that any right. longer. Ken, have you ever stopped into a pizza? I haven't been to one in years, but a Pizza Hut or any of that corporate pizza, have, and just for the hell of it? Just for the uh, hell of
3: it? No, it would be really hard to get off on that. Um,
1: you don't uh, have to get off. You just need to order it. I know, and, I know, <laughs> like. you can't get off every time. My friend. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't.
3: I haven't. It's, it would be hard for me.
1: I'll try. That I think we should. Do, I, I think it'd be like fun. It. Let's get Brian Spangler and we'll get Sarah Minnick. Let's all go and do a Pizza Hut and, and get a really do a pho- first, right? And get a and do a photo shoot.
0: I do got to say though, uh, my mom used to make p- pizzas in her oven. She would make the dough herself, and th- those were some of the best pizzas I ever had. Is that she would experiment with toppings nice. and and but it was handmade dough and. What's your favorite topping? You know when she would make it, she made this really interesting like broccoli. She would do a broccoli pizza. I know, but it was like I can't remember how she did it, but it was like like of all things broccoli, and it was really good. Well, that's probably the best way to have broccoli when you're. I I like I like broccoli. I'm a sausage
1: person. I judge by the sausage. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't judge, but that's the one I that's my go to. If I'm going someplace, I have to try the sausage.
3: pizza. Have you had the sausage pizza trifecta annex?
1: I have not. Oh yeah, uh, yes, I have. I Real stopped like into Common Law, and um, Patrick went over and grabbed us a slice and brought it over. Uh, so cool. that was very kind of him, cool. and uh, it didn't go really well with what he was doing. But it was right. a little appetizer, cabbage salad, and nice, of nice big s- so. chunks of sausage yeah. over there. Different yeah. than your than Ken's artisan. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I was really glad. So, um, what's your what's your ingredient of choice? Because I have always sworn by your your sausage and. Your sausage pizza at Ken's Artisan—that to me
3: is—you um, know—I've always—I uh, really like the simplest pies. Although I'm a sucker for the uh, Hawaiian pizza we do it at the Annex. Really? Yeah, I really like—I really like it a lot. It's got bacon and pineapple. I would imagine—is
1: there anything there that you wouldn't be a sucker for? You got to be a sucker for it to be putting it out there. I would well, think. yeah,
3: I'm not going to put out anything to <laughs> serve that I don't want to eat. But right. I really like the simplest of foods. I love the marinara pizza. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um and actually <clears throat> one of the things I like about it is um in rome uh where there's there's two principal styles of roman pizza there 's a bakery pizza um called altalio a a l t a g l i o altalio uh and bakeries will make uh long sheets in their bread ovens of uh a pizza they could be like five or six feet in length and they put them out at a counter and they cut up you know individual rectangles based on what you want to eat <clears throat> and the two uh, two that are just really classic are Pizza Bianca, which is basically its bread, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know a little olive oil and salt, uh, and it 's kind of a flatbread you know ideally they 're about a quarter inch thick they 're all bubbly, uh, crusty, a little crisp on the outside, a little bit tender on the inside. That would be the perfect version of that uh, and then Pizza Rosa uh, is the other Roman Altaglio pizza that I really like, and it 's tomato sauce, uh, a little bit of <clears throat> a little bit of oregano uh, and olive oil and I just love that. I love it. It's the simplest version. It's uh, flatbread with with tomato sauce.
1: Have you made it here?
3: Um, well, that is what the marinara pizza is, basically, uh, adding garlic to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the marinara pizza that we do at Trifecta Annex. Huh.
1: And getting Funny a f- name for getting... a pizzeria, isn't it? Yeah, and getting a uh, five-foot pizza in and out of those ovens would be a little difficult, I would imagine. Yeah, you need a bread, bread oven over, for that. Uh, have... Big skill involved.
3: Yeah, those Roman pizzerias, I mean, they're doing these in uh, bread ovens, which is how pizza got started in the U.S. These, you know, Lombardi's and, uh, you know, the others that followed him were all baking in bread ovens, uh, which got really hot, and they would uh, use pizza to cool down the hearth before to get it ready
1: for bread. So this was back at the turn of the century?
3: Yeah, 1900. Uh, Lombardi's was not the only one making pizza, um, but he was the first to make only pizza,
1: uh, in Little Italy. New York. Really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. Have you uh, been to, You've been to Bar- Lombardy? Yeah, as a I, matter I, of fact,
3: um, I had a great time. I was in New York in April, and I, um, this guy, Scott Wiener, who does Scott's Pizza Tours. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I,
3: I've read about him. Scott, was, is, uh, he's in the Guinness Book of the World Record for having the largest collection of pizza boxes.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, really cool that. guy.
3: He gives pizza tours uh, throughout the five boroughs of New York. And he and I got together um, a couple months ago, uh, and we did a little our own little tour. I uh, just told we went into Lombardi's and he walks in there like, like he owns a joint. Um, and yeah, right up to the ovens. Uh, we went to uh, Luzzo's. Um, How many the, do you do in
1: one day in one of those
3: tours? Uh, usually just like five or six. Just? Yeah.
1: So it's a slice at each one? Pretty much,
3: yeah. Yeah, they get, you know, if he's got eight people, you know, they get a pizza. Everybody has a slice. He gives them a little tour of the place, then they move on to the next one.
1: Is it... Is it, is the attitude, let's just enjoy these for what they are, or are people tempted to rate all of them?
3: Um, he actually gives people a little book that allows them to score for themselves. There you go. You know, so it's cross toppings, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, actually, one of the cool things about Lombardi is, is you know, it's history. It it's, has not been in its present location since, it's been in its present location, I think, since the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, it started on, I uh, 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 forget what street, in 1905. Um, but right now, it's actually in two separate buildings that are just kind of joined together at the hip. He's got two different leases.
1: <laughs> uh, well, that's, and really great Colombo. That's, not that's unusual. a cool place. Pepe's had, has that same situation. Do they? Well, similar. It's They have Pepe's, and then they have the spot, which is in the parking lot right yeah. behind it. Yeah. And that was always the, the spot to go. There you go. Uh, when you didn't feel like waiting on the big line, the shorter line. <laughs> it was the same thing.
3: But you but, get the same pizza, right?
1: Yeah, supposedly, but now they've gotten bigger, and they're now in Boston, and they're down in Fairfield County, right. and yeah. so you don't know. And, yeah. uh,
3: but it's still run by Frank Pepe's grandchildren.
1: I think so, it yeah, is, but yeah. They're, they're not able to be at, at every At all location. places, at all times, so no, again, of course not. So my friend uh, Billy Pastari, who owns Modern Pizza, Moderna Pizza, I should say, and um, he's, his pizza is served up at Safeco Field. It's called Bill's. He will not put the modern name on it because he can't be there, and right, it, it's right. it was set up by Ethan Stoll. Actually, it's uh-huh. an interesting story, and um, but it's good. But it's I, I can't you know it's I at love Billy. Yeah, it's at the it's ballpark. At the ballpark. He, 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 what do you expect? It's not the it's not <laughs> the same. But as far as ballpark food, it's it's great. <laughs> but yeah, you know, he wouldn't put his name on it, and he's yeah. still just one location modern. And you, I don't know if you have heard what's I've kind of heard what's going on with Sally's down in. Portland. It's, I mean, in New Haven. It's,
3: uh, so Rick and Bobby Concilio, they are... more than I do. Um, I don't, I've never met them, and I've never actually eaten there, but uh, I wrote uh, the history of pizza. I kind of wrote a, a chapter about that in in my book, The Elements of Pizza. And so I did uh, what research I could on New Haven pizzerias, and then I got some help. Oh, cool. So I just can. not I need throw that a, book. I, I can throw the name of
1: out. all cookbooks. That's the one I need to be uh, be on. Is it out now?
3: Yeah, it was published in April, um, and it's more than just a cookbook. I, I think a lot of people would enjoy it just to learn about pizza, even if they don't want to cook from it. Uh, so the first half of the book is uh, the first chapter is called "The Soul of Pizza" and it's about how pizza got started in Italy, uh, who a lot of its top practitioners are, um, how pizza migrated to the U.S., uh, how it evolved. Uh, I write about pizza styles, pizza ingredients. So if we want to yeah, what about the tomatoes on the pizza? If you want to know, I write about them. Or the cheese, all the kinds of mozzarella. Yeah.
1: Did that you think fun. when you grew and you grew up in Maryland, did yeah. you think yeah. was there any indication this is you'd be sitting in a, a, a studio in yeah. Portland, Oregon or a pizza I should say a pizzeria, but you know, talking about as an authority on pizza, was there any indication uh, as a kid?
3: No, none. But if you would told the 12-year-old me that I'd be yeah, you know, that I would own pizzerias when I was an adult, I would have been really happy.
1: What and what did what what did the twelve year old you want to do?
3: do um, you remember? I wanted to go out and play baseball and you know eat a cheeseburger. I didn't. So were you any, an Oriole, I didn't, I didn't have. Fan?
1: I grew up a Washington Senators
3: fan, but they broke my heart when they turned into the Texas Rangers and left. So. Um, it was hard to immediately be an Orioles fan because we always had this yeah, little no, rivalry about... It's hard to
1: change leagues. When right? you grow
3: up in suburban Maryland, it's sort of like, well, am I supposed to be a, a Senators fan? Because Senators they're right here. Or mm-hmm. an Orioles fan that's 45 minutes up the road. <laughs>
1: oh, man. Well, but The that, Orioles
3: had the great teams. They had Jim Palmer, Mike Cuellar, Paul Blair, Chris Robinson, and Frank Robinson.
1: Right. And, I, I am happy to say, and, it, you know, it it's a... I just... I start welling up when I think about it. I was at Game Five of the '69 series when the Mets beat the Orioles, when the amazing Mets became world champions. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I you know I knew that Oriole team pretty well. They were great. They were better than the Mets. Yeah. And uh, not that week though. Not that week. It's that's the way it works. But at yeah. least with baseball, it's four out of seven as opposed right. to football you can have one bad game and yeah. it's over with sure. so are you are you is it possible to be a nationals fan now
3: um you know i'm from, jo- from portland I, i've lived a long time on the west coast okay. uh, i lived in the bay area for a long time i uh, i followed the oakland athletics for years and years and
1: years uh worst it, worst stadium in baseball in um, my opinion yeah but in the
3: 80s it got a lot of accolades uh it's funny yeah well then right then now is <laughs> a lot different yeah the gigantic foul territory and yeah, all kinds of issues with upgrading the stadium. But um I was an Oakland A's fan for a long time. Um uh, uh, But actually, now I'm a Giants fan. So, you know, I've, I've lost credibility with a lot of people because I didn't stay with the same team my whole life. But yeah, well, my change, heart got already, ripped out when I was 13. So. Yeah, shit, you had to change once. You <laughs> may as well
1: change, change again.
3: So, yeah, I'm a Giants fan. I, I do follow the Nats. I follow the Orioles, too.
1: Yeah, the Nats just took it to my Mets over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that was awesome. And you know what's killing me is not to get into a big baseball discussion. Daniel Murphy is just killing me. And, and every yeah. Met fan. Oh my! And yeah, I totally. thought it was dumb after his World Series or his playoff run to get rid of him last year. And he year. went to a
3: division rival.
1: Oh, God. And he's just, he's, you know, he's had seven home runs against the Mets already this year. I, I, look, more than a quarter of his home runs. Anyway.
3: To see your form, your your last year star player beating you this year. It's that's it doesn't hurt.
1: happen a lot, and no. it's uh, and he's really beating them, and they saw it coming. So that,
3: that should only happen to Mets fans. You guys know how to deal.
1: Yeah, I, no, I think it should happen to Cubs fans. <laughs> 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 I, I don't want to carry the torch for the ha, the ha, most hapless fan fandom in the U.S. I think that's the Cubs. Maybe they'll change that this year. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, at least see. we have two. Let's two, see
0: two titles. Hey, Chris, let's pause a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat again, Ringside Steakhouse.
1: That's right. 75 years. The Peterson family has owned it. I wonder if we're going on. No, it's 75. 75
0: plus plus one, I think, maybe.
1: Right. But the 75th year was a challenging one for Ringside as well as other restaurants. And, you know, they've been doing their kits, their steak sales uh, since uh, April or May. And now, in the middle of August... They're opening their doors and they're taking reservations for indoor and outdoor dining. They've got a tent set up outside. So I am really happy that uh, tomorrow night, Friday, we're going to celebrate the the reopening of Ringside Steakhouse and the reopening of dining out. It's so nice to be able to do that again.
0: Yeah, and, and you pointed out making those reservations at ringsidesteakhouse.com or using the uh, OpenTable app, but that's the only way you can do it. You used to be able to maybe show up and be able to get into the bar or possibly get a, a table if you were lucky, like on a weeknight, but now you need to do a reservation.
1: They have to, be, they have to f- figure out their seating plan, so make a reservation. And then there's another thing that's exciting. We've been hearing a lot uh, about what's going on in Portland, and some of it hasn't been that good. But this is great news, an opening of a new place, which is a partnership between the Peterson family of Ringside and also our friend Micah Camden, of Blue Star Donuts fame fame and Little Big Burger fame. And of course, one of my favorites, uh, Super Deluxe. He's opening in the former Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside. I think it's 26th, um, is uh, Rock, Paper, Fish. This this speaks to me, New England style fish and chips with a Northwest uh, personality too. So uh, Micah, when he does something, um, you know, it's going to be good. And for the Peterson family to be involved, they're not putting their name on just anything. So this would be something really cool to check out. That, unlike ringside now, is takeout only for a while until things we get out of this COVID situation.
0: That's right. So don't forget to make those reservations for both indoor and outdoor for Ringside Steakhouse at ringsidesteakhouse.com.
1: And check out Rock Paper Fish as well. That should be fun for you. So, um, and so what set you on the track towards baking? Um,
3: so go back 20 some years to the mid nineties. Um, I was working in a corporate career, you know, I put on a suit, tie, went to work every day in an office uh, and- In advertising? Uh, no, um, that was, the advertising bit was just the last two years of my corporate career. No, I was, uh, uh, I worked in a company that made equipment to build communications networks. Um, my my brother was one of the founders in 1984 I joined and I started and ran our tech support center uh, at this point we were in um, Menlo Park California and uh, so I was an engineer for about 7 or 8, 10 years I guess then I was a sales guy because they made more money and I needed, you know, wanted to buy a house yeah. uh, so uh, I ended up back in the DC office so I kind of went back to where I grew up and um, I just didn't want to do that for the rest of my career you know and I Yeah, I'd already seen people go through layoffs and go through this, you know, the midlife thing of all right, um, whatever age you are, I've got to go find a job, Uh, and I just didn't want to do that, and it really wasn't soul fulfilling, satisfying. Uh, So for years, I just kept thinking I wanted to do my own gig, but I didn't know what it was, and I had uh, done a fair bit of work in Europe. Uh, I lived in London in 1989. Uh, I did a gig where I was on contract to IBM, supporting our product over there, and uh, I just got a taste of. For things that are, like a lot of Americans, you go to Europe and go, wow, this food is really good. You know, it could be a salami, it could be a pizza, it could be, you know, coco vin, um, and,
1: and it's also the atmosphere, too. There's something romantic about it over there. Yeah,
3: but you get, you buy a baguette or uh, a country boule oh, in man. Paris, and, yeah. you know, we didn't have anything like this here. And I was like, man, it's like, how hard can this be? So uh, I jumped off the cliff, and uh, I um, I sold out in 1999. I I cashed in, I sold my house, I sold basically everything I had, and I had just enough money in the bank to take a few years off, uh, invest S- in a bakery.
1: Single guy, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah it, if it, I was it,
3: married, it never would, my, the marriage never would have survived those Yeah, first no, that's,
1: there are things you can do as a single person, that, and easier and faster, that you can't do, uh, with a family
3: especially. Right. So I literally bet the ranch. I, um, I had a piece of shit little rental house uh, here in Portland when I opened my bakery, and I was used to living in pretty nice homes. Um, and just went for it. Yeah, and the Failure was not an option.
1: How old were you then? Uh,
3: I was 43 when I opened my bakery. Okay. 58 now.
1: Yeah. Same age, man. Um,
3: yeah, 58 was an awesome year. So, uh, yeah, I opened my bakery. I wanted to be the, the baker. I didn't want to just own it and hire other bakers. Uh, I wanted to craft. And so, yeah, I worked really hard and... Um, it took a few years before I felt like our product was what I wanted it to be, but this still was not bad at the beginning. Either.
1: But how much experience did you have baking before you opened that bakery? I mean, uh, zero, zero. Right. Well, you, I just, went, to, you just like open the doors and I'm baking. And did you I, did you have somebody? I mentored did a lot you? of
3: training. Um, I had a lot of training, but I didn't go to anyone. I went to like four or five different culinary schools, but it was a week here, two weeks there, uh, <clears throat> two weeks at the San Francisco Baking Institute. Uh, for example, uh, one week at the CIA in Napa for a pastry class. Two mm-hmm. weeks. At, oh,
1: so you had some? It just yeah, wasn't. Yeah. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna fake it till I
3: make it. No, no. And then I studied in France for a couple of weeks, um, in summer of 2000, uh, at a good culinary school just outside of Lyon. It's uh, called uh, L'Institut Paul Paul uh, at A place called the Chateau de Vivier. It was fantastic.
1: It was so much fun. Where I'm. I should be a court. Had spent some time in Leon, and Leon. I'm hoping to spend some time yeah, there yeah. in a few months with, with Aaron Barnett from St. Jack. We're going oh, over cool. there. So that's going
3: to be... Well, so Leon is a great city, man. It's a good eating town. It's beautiful, too. Looking forward and to, even, to and it. And
0: even the, the worst worst bread or the worst uh, patisseries that you have there are like 10 times better than what we find here in the States. It's crazy. Uh, except for my bakery. Except right? for except your bakery. No,
1: I'm just saying... But I'm going to say this. I'll add to it. Qua- quality or not, I walked into the bakery where we were staying near where we were staying down the street, and there were a lot of them in Paris. And you know, I was ready to go get a couple of croissants and maybe something else for me and my son. And uh, I walked out with a uh, shopping bag full of baguettes, this, that, this for like eight euros, which would have I would have had two little things here, two yeah. croissants in Portland. Yeah. For that. That's what's incredible is how much less expensive it is over yeah. there. And what's the reason for that?
3: Um, one is just volume. They sell a lot more. Uh, some of it's historical. The price of bread and croissants used to be regulated up until the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it used to be there was a, set, a price set by the government for what a baguette would cost.
1: So that's hmm. still kind of the...
0: The sta- uh, mentality's still, still kind of there. Still on, there, yeah.
3: Some of that still, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I do got to say, to redeem myself here a little bit, Ken, your walnut <laughs> bread... Like cuz my first time I ever had walnut bread was in France and like it just it was life changing. It's your walnut bread that uh, oh. It's the best I've had. Thanks man. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so are you <laughs> Does responsible? that make up for my my, you... my my uh slam that I didn't mean to to make there? I don't think that Merci was a bien bien. <laughs> It was just, a, it, was
1: just a, it was just a it was an inadvertent comment. <laughs> That's I, I was, was making a point. So is if
3: Oh, so if only co- my customers were French, let me tell you.
1: <laughs> oh, well, sure. I don't know right. if you want that. So court if if Court loved your walnut bread, is that is everything there have your... The, did I you stamp develop on it? it or, well, not, yeah, it has, I know it has your stamp on it. Uh, at
3: Ken's you, Artisan Bakery, um, I'd say about half. Uh, so we have a lot of things that I... Like, I have no particular skill with cakes. Uh, Randy, my pastry chef, and Randy's been there for 11 years. Uh, uh, so uh, Randy's sort of filled in the gaps with what... You know, what's not in my, you know, personal skill set. Uh, all the croissants, the brioches, the breads, you know, those are my products. Mm. Um, some of the fruit tarts, uh, those are my products. But uh, cookies, cakes, um, the mackerel. Uh, Randy and I actually collaborated on the macaron. We started about five years ago fruit filling the macaron. And so in the summertime, we do a raspberry Mac That I just, this is my favorite thing that we make there. Uh, you get um, you get two cookies with a little layer of uh, buttercream, lightened with pastry cream, and then fresh raspberries. But we make the cookies taste like something, too. So in a macaron, uh, typically it's almond meal and egg whites and sugar. And uh, any color that's in the cookie is, historically has been food coloring. Uh, but we wanted to get some flavor in there. So we take in a raspberry in a macaron, we take fresh raspberries. We dehydrate them, grind them up in a coffee grinder. So we have raspberry powder that gets folded into the cookie itself. Now the cookie tastes like really intense raspberry.
1: Hmm. Are they available now? At this very family? instant. At this very – okay. Yes. Quartz, I all do you know yours, where man. we're going You're
0: <laughs> <out of> here? <laughs> I'll be uh, back. You know it's interesting, Ken, because and, and kind of going back to to Chris's question about why why you know it, it's different – prices here than it is there you know when i was in france for the, the time that i was there and then came home and that question i was just like why don't we have these things things here and somebody i can't remember who said it to me but they're like the the resources the flour is just done differently here in the states than it is in france that's one of the reasons why you don't get that same taste that same quality is that true
3: the flour is different um
0: we have a really good flour here yeah uh
3: the milling is a little bit more of an art or can be there's big industrial mills in France, of course, right? Uh, but France has more craft mills probably okay. uh, than in the U.S. Uh, so if you, for example, let's look at whole wheat flour, for example. When you buy whole wheat flour, um, when the wheat goes to the mill, you've got wheat kernels uh, and they go through a roller mill that separates the germ and the bran from the endosperm. And the endosperm is what the part in the middle that makes white flour, Um, whole wheat flour, they grind up the bran and the germ and then incorporate it back into the white flour. So it's sort of reconstituted whole wheat flour. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ideally, you'll have uh, something like a stone mill or a stone mill um, that uh, grinds them up all together. And yeah, there's no reconstituting. It's just much more, uh, it's not only a more natural way of doing it, but it releases some of the oils in the germ into the white flour. uh, And it just has this cafe au lait brownish color <clears throat> beautiful characteristic. That's hard. To, it's hard to find anything like that in the U.S. Hmm.
1: So you've covered France and Italy, right, with your bakery and, and pizza. Yeah. Now, any other yeah. regions that you're? Uh...
3: Um, no. At this point, I think I've reached the limit of what I'm capable of doing in real time. I have four storefronts now, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I've just written two books, and I've kind of at the end of a pretty intense last six
1: years. Are you a workaholic?
3: No. Well. <sighs> I, I don't want to be going forward, to be honest. Uh, I'd like to relax a little bit more.
1: Yeah, well, I think we <laughs> both hit this age, and it's, uh, you do. You, yeah. You wanna, um, although you've, i got to say, I can tell you without knowing, uh, only knowing what I know, you've worked a lot harder than I have, especially over the last few years. So It's not always by choice, but you get into situations
3: in life where you don't have a choice.
1: And um, how are you as a boss? Because when you started baking... You were probably thinking more about baking. I think a lot of people in this town get into it because they're artists, artisans. Yeah, it's hard.
3: You know, I still would love to uh, spend more time with my hands on the food. But uh, And I've worked baker shifts at Trifecta, you know, even this year. So it's not like I'm completely hands-off. But you can only do so many things in a day. Um, So uh, I really enjoy the craft. I will always enjoy the craft. Uh, I love dividing and shaping bread dough, you know. I love baking it out of the oven. So Still, I'll,
1: so you're not telling that's no. You know,
3: that stuff does not get old.
1: But how do you like payroll and all that stuff? I I, assume um, you have yeah, a lot I of think
3: um, I I can take pleasure in the business management side of things, um, uh, and I think I'm a pretty good boss. You know, I'm not condescending, uh, and I always try to look at my staff's point of view. I've got over 100 people working for me, so. Yeah, It will always has its, has its, have its challenges because there's always turnover. Uh, but I don't know. I kind
1: of dig it. Is it challenging now? Uh, I've been hearing it. it's really hard to find good people, front of the house, back of the house, especially back of the house.
3: Well, anytime yeah. the unemployment rate is as low as it is, uh, it naturally follows that um, there's going to be a little bit smaller set of people. You know, ideally, you want to have a place that people want to work at. So even in the tighter times, um, employment-wise, uh, we're still able to attract good people and so far we have uh, I've, I had to fill some really critical positions this year and uh, I felt really fortunate that I was able to bring in people that I was really thrilled to get, have on board.
1: And what do you attribute that to because there are a lot of different businesses in Portland. You know, we just had Nate Snell from Pips Original Donuts and Chai. I got a, I did the whole thing for the first time
0: and Can we do a standing ovation <laughs> here for you? <laughs> Thanks. He'll, proud, appreci- right?
1: he'll appreciate that. He's never called me on it but, I mean, he's got some some really interesting things going on in terms of, you know, he gives every employee 30 bucks a week to that they have to go out and spend on charity charitable- Per paycheck. 30 For bucks paycheck, per paycheck. Per
0: paycheck, yeah. Unless they're paid weekly and then you work. I are think it might
1: be. I just, uh, anyway, yeah. so he does those kind of things. And, and I think part of that is he accomplishes a lot with that, you know, something from his heart that I think emanates throughout the business, but also with customers. It's not all about the profits. It's about- doing good for the community? Are there things that you're doing in that area that help in many ways? Mostly, I just want to have a place that people want to
3: go to work to or, or at. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're a cook, you want to, if, if you're a cook or you have some aspiration or you um, really uh, like having some talent, you know, you want to get better, you want to work in a good restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the fun things at Trifecta, for example, is it's an expensive restaurant to operate because we have a lot of stations in the kitchen, but we also have all the toys. You know, uh, our grill is a wood-fired grill, uh, or we have a wood-fired oven. We, have, um, uh, we use immersion circulators. So, um, you know, it's a good place to work as a cook, because, and we work with really terrific ingredients. You know, my chef, Rich Meyer, uh, was chef de cuisine at Higgins Restaurant. Um, and he worked for Greg for seventeen years, and so wow. um, you know, Rich is work accustomed to working with you know very highest quality produce and meats, and uh, and doing pickling and curing, and um, you know the sort of yeah you know, the sort of things, craft elements to the kitchen work that uh, aspiring cooks really like working in. And we you know we treat people with respect. We're not condescending. And there are kitchens where that's not true.
1: Do you want to name those?
3: Of course not. <laughs>
1: so, I I wasn't looking for that. I yeah. just thought that it would be fun to do um, it. Or at my be Sound pizza. bite on that. You know,
3: what, what I love doing is I love going to work and feeling the good juju there. Uh, I t- totally get that at my bakery. I, I love that at my pizzeria. Uh, the crew in the kitchen there, <clears throat> they really enjoy their gig. And they got a good gig. They're making really good pizza. Uh, they're out in the middle of the restaurant. They're not tucked back behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can usually see just the looks on their faces that these guys like what they're doing. So I try to make every place, every job, something that whoever's going to be doing it, yeah, can really enjoy doing.
1: Well, it's a, it's a great environment over there. I love just oh, the thanks. whole, the whole, the atmosphere at Ken's pizza and trifecta as well. And I, I've had experience at the bakery too. Yeah. Um, yeah we designed it, the
3: kitchens in just... all of those places we designed the kitchens or I did depending on which one uh, with a, uh, Keeping in mind the point of view of the cook who's going to be working in there, uh, so that they have sight lines, so that they don't feel closed in, so that um, the workspace is adequate for you know what we're asking them to do, so on and so forth.
1: It's kind of like taking care of the animals at the you know beforehand. If they have a good life beforehand, they're gonna the food's gonna taste better, and with your employees, same thing. We went to a place last year in Spain, Conjubani, which where the view from the kitchen was better than the view from, <laughs> from the dining room or as good, at least as good. It'll, it was all windows, wow, whereas nice. from the dining room, they were just, you know, they were portals, Painless. windows, yeah, portals. So um, it dawned on me then that that's really what they're doing. They're making it a really comfortable environment so that the talent there ha- can flourish in every way. Yeah, and the food's going to be better when you do all that too. You, you, th- you think that's not just a theory? That is, or it is a theory, but... It, I don't know, I'm going you know, to stand by it. You're going to stand right. by it. Yeah. So how's, uh, how's Pine Street Market doing? How's the Annex doing?
3: Uh, Pine Street Market is doing good. Annex is still waiting to be discovered as its own thing. Um, I think we're making really fantastic uh, croissants, but our mornings are totally dead. Uh, so I yeah, developed they, a whole are they new— any
1: different than your other croissants? Or?
3: Yeah. This was the fun for me um, is—and uh, I'm not complaining, by the way. It's just, all right, I, I can handle patience— Um, I'm basically, I've made a completely new line of croissant products. Uh, our base dough is made with spelt flour, whole spelt flour. Uh, it's expensive, but it has an earthy nutty flavor to it that I really, really like. And I'm definitely leaning more toward whole grains in my baking. Um, we do a morning bun that is similar to the morning bun at Ken's Artisan Bakery, but again, that's made from the spelt flour dough. So it's got an earthier flavor to it, but it's not heavy or dense, um, we do a, 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 a do two new croissants uh, at Trifecta Annex. One is uh, <clears throat> made with rye flour uh, and sweetened with honey. Uh, and we roll up uh, the triangles for these croissants. We roll up with ham, so we call it the honey rye ham croissant. And okay. it just has this beautiful balance of savory flavors with just a little background sweet from the honey. Man, it's so good.
0: Isn't there a saying that like you shouldn't never trust a uh, a skinny baker? <laughs> what that's of but Terrell's
3: never never I, I, trust to I, I, station.
0: I never, I would never, I, I wouldn't be able to survive. Like if I were you, Ken, because the, the way you talk about this is like I, I'm I'm going to go get in line right now for these morning morning Bakers croissants. Bakers burn a lot of calories. Okay, maybe yeah. maybe maybe that's the benefit. Not, of it.
3: They do not spend their day on their butts.
1: <laughs> well, plus you can't eat your pride, you'd be uh, you know you got, got a sample a little bit. Right? You do have you to, got to sample. You have to make sure. <laughs> uh, and then there's a double chocolate croissant
3: um, oh. that we make. Oh. It's a chocolate oh. dough. Uh, and then we roll it up with uh Valrona couverture um, chocolate, the Fevs.
0: What time do you open?
3: Uh, we <laughs> were next uh, open? <laughs> uh we, we opened at nine. We were opening at eight, but nothing was happening. Right, right. So you know, on a typical day we like today, I think we sold about five croissants an hour. Hmm. Uh until we hit around lunchtime. So we're still waiting to be discovered. We're actually going to uh soon open up the bakery again at Trifecta. Um just you know, we're there. We're baking stuff anyway. For the and that annex. was the
1: original plan.
3: right? It was, but the neighborhood wasn't right for it. Uh, first off, there was a lot of construction projects going on, so parking was limited. Uh, there were, um, uh, there's no real neighborhood there which you kind of need for a bakery. Right. Uh, and it's not anyway, far, though. There are was, neighborhoods
1: that aren't far, but I guess— I was bleeding hard
3: and fast, um, so I had to kill it pretty quickly. Uh, so never gave up on the idea. The, the whole idea of opening Trifecta Annex at the Pine Street Market was to allow me to use this bakery that I built and actually make the products I wanted to make and take them someplace to where hopefully the people are. That hasn't worked yet. Um, but I'm confident that in time it will because I know how good these products are.
1: You need, to, you need to just have someone with a board go over to Voodoo Donuts and say, no line, and, you know... Don't get me started. <laughs> All right. Don't get me started. Why? Was, that, <laughs> um, was that in a meeting? <laughs> um, well, you I know... I want to get you started. We're make, we're tell, make, tell me what you think about that, or um, tell us what you think. I'm sorry.
3: Why not? This is a venue uh, for, for opinions, right? Um, we make product that, uh, that emphasizes the craft, You cannot make a croissant well unless you do 28 things right from start to finish, including the final bake, when to pull it out of the oven. And uh, that's the sort of product that I totally respect and that I want to eat. And if there was a line down the street for that kind of product, then it would totally make sense to me. Uh, The fact that we have people coming from out of town standing in line for a product that isn't in that category, I don't understand. Um, So I don't want to, you know...
1: I would imagine, though, you could. Express anything more detailed. No, we heard it. Yeah. So, so, but I would imagine that you could do, as a marketing person, some pretty good business out of the hotels downtown who are looking for, you know, a cool place to go. They don't necessarily want to go downstairs. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, and that should develop over time, but that's not something... That's something that takes some take, time,
2: yeah.
3: It basically, takes time and it
1: takes concierge. And,
3: it's exactly yeah. The, the route to that success path is through the concierges, which we're trying to develop some relationships with. Still, I've, I'm the kind of guy that says, if I just keep my head down and do really great, world-class product, and if it's new and innovative, like the honey rye ham croissant or the double chocolate croissant or these morning buns, or we do a maple sugar croissant, fuck, that's good. Um, then... Sooner or later, somebody's going to notice. Then we're doing pizza there too, and uh, so Trifecta Annex—you might say that's a stupid name for a pizzeria—but um, it's a bakery and a pizza. It's not
1: a pizzeria, it's a pizzeria so you—it's a well, you bakery got, you, and a pizza. If you named you know? it a pizzeria, it
3: couldn't be a bakery, it, so you got to yeah, go down the middle. Yeah, right. Um, so, it, and it's uh, Trifecta Tavern is a big part of it. You, you know, we mix the pizza dough there, we make the croissants, uh, products there, we actually bake the croissants at the annex. But anyway, we're making a New York style pizza uh, at Trifecta Annex. That um, we're mostly a slice joint for
1: most people. Um, we Which a lot is of really slices. nice, by what the else? way. There I can't can think a of a lot s- of places where they were. Hey, I just want a slice. Right.
3: Uh, and it's this really terrific slice of pizza. Um, from the you know the craftsman in me would like more people to buy whole pizzas because that's the pizza at its best.
1: Right. Is when you get them whole- fresh out of the oven.
3: Yeah, it's not a reheated slice. It's. Only gets baked once, um, and it's at its very, very best that way. I, actually, I even say that on our menus. Our whole pies are best.
1: So I'm looking forward to going down because I love croissants. And yeah. my current, the current um, award winner in my mind is Have you been to Baker and Spice and had their whole wheat croissant? Um, and by the way, Julie, I should say I haven't. Your Ken's Artisan Bakery is not generally convenient for me. I'm in Southwest, so sure. I haven't been there as many times. I really Easy like Baker.
3: To... Uh, I'll, I'll just say I really like Baker Baker and Spice. Uh, I'm friends with Julie Richardson and her husband, Matt. Um, I think they do a great job. We've had an awesome relationship over the years. Uh, their products are terrific. And I'm glad you mentioned them because they don't get a lot of mention.
1: Yeah, no. And they, I and They deserve more than that. Well, can. a lot of that is because they're in Southwest. But the people right. in Southwest know about it because yeah. it's packed. Yeah, yeah, they usually. do well. And, um, but that croissant, when I... For, someone first told me to have it, and I brought it... I brought one to you. Oh, yeah. For, yeah. And I brought it to a few people because it's on my way. Um, and it always... Flips everybody out. So, so that's a good one. I need to get down to try some of yours. At, but, oh. And the good thing is, I can't do them all at once. So I have to keep going right. down and try exactly. this
3: little of that, exactly.
1: Little of that. So, uh,
3: we're now opening at nine in the morning. We were opening at eight, but nothing was happening. So we open at nine now.
1: And then, how late do you open in the evening? Um,
3: till nine o'clock most nights. Uh, we're open till ten on uh, Friday, Saturday.
1: So how how do you think? And actually, you know, it might be good for you to explain, because I bet we have listeners who don't know what Pine Street Market is. So that's one of the reasons you're here, to help educate uh, people. But can pie, you explain pie, what Pine, Mar- Pine Street Market yeah, sure. is and what your expectations are?
3: Uh, Pine Street Market's a food hall. Uh, it's a homegrown food hall. It takes a historic building in uh, downtown Portland. It's at the corner of Southwest 2nd uh, and Pine Streets. Uh, so it's right next to Kells. Uh, it's a couple blocks from that donut place you mentioned. Um, and real close to the waterfront. Um, there are nine different uh, tenants or operators. We're not all restaurants in there. So there's, uh, uh, but it's all locally operated. So imagine a food court that be the food court of your dreams because the food is really good. And it's made by local restaurateurs from around town. There's no chains in there. It's not that kind of place. Uh, it has common seating in the middle, uh, sort of picnic table style seating. And then um, a lot of the operators there have their own interior seating. I kind of wish I had done that. I, I went for a smaller space, not thinking that I needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the range is the right next to me is Common Law. Uh, they make uh, it's sort of uh, Asian slash French cuisine. Um, and then I'm doing a bakery and a pizzeria. Uh, we've got Olympia Provisions has a really fantastic hot dog stand. Got to
1: get down there, Corey. Uh, we need to go down to the hot dog. I want to do I'm, that with you. I'm down. All right. Any Hot-tops day. Are
3: good. Um, Mary Keen uh, doing really fantastic ramen. Uh, Salt and Straw has their whiz-bang uh, soft serve bar. Uh, and then-
1: are there uh, li- How the line? I went when it first opened. There weren't lines. How's that going for
3: them? Uh I don't know. It's going well for them. It's not a
1: salt and straw line is my question. Do you Uh, have to wait in line like you do at most salt and straw locations?
3: uh, Sometimes the line's shorter. Sometimes it's longer. Okay. Um, Hard to say. It's like people asking about the wait at my pizzeria. I don't know. Plenty of times there's no wait at all.
1: What's the best time to go? I'm glad we got that in. When's the best time to go to Ken's Pizza where you don't have to wait? Because I have to tell you, I feel like it a lot, and then I'm just, oh, God, it's after 6. I'll never never get in.
3: uh, You know, a lot of times the best time to go is around 8 o'clock. Um, Portland likes to eat dinner earlier than most cities in the U.S. And uh, so Monday through Thursday around 8 o'clock is a really good time to go. Friday and Saturday, of course, are going to be busy. Sunday's uh, been um, uh, it's a beautiful time to go. This is something about the air on a Sunday. It's just chill. Well, plus with you know? the
1: windows open, it's just yeah. a, really, it's a really nice thing. Yeah. So uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask where you're – some of the places that you're digging in Portland right now that you would – friends came in from out of town other than your places where they need to go
3: um i haven't really been eating out much other than at my places lately um i
1: uh i like miro
3: Kutai a lot for sushi um it's a short walk for me it's up at the corner of burnside and sixth um and
1: here used to be in lake Oswego. yeah there. and then he was where yama is now in the pearl and right he moved over there
3: right uh hero is is a treasure mm-hmm. you yeah, know it's Mid-60s, he's been doing sushi his whole life. Is the kind of guy you want. Severely
1: fish. underrated. There was just a was sushi like, thing on Eater, I think it was. They, that wasn't mentioned. I, I was looking for it. And I was like, no, nah, someone missed the boat here. But,
3: uh, yeah, I shouldn't say anything bad about Eater, but they missed the boat on that one.
1: Yeah. No, it's okay if they miss. They're going to – look, you can't be on it's, all the time, but it's, that one.
3: Yeah, best five anything. It's like <clears> –
1: <throat> Well, that's the thing now lists. Right. And you're lucky. You come in on almost, uh, there isn't a list, a pizza list you're not on, right? I mean. Well, oh, thanks. I Thank think. You. So I'm right there with mine. So yeah, I mean, actually,
3: you know, speaking of, of pizza, um, you know, our, our, uh, our founding chef, uh, Alan Maniscalco, left uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, Alan did a great job for us. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have opened the place without him. Um, he left. I think he's working on his own pizzeria in Vancouver. Uh, But it's been fun for me because it's allowed—his departure has allowed me to um, reinvigorate the energy of the kitchen directly. Um, And uh, so we've uh, taken some old pies off the menu that weren't exactly what I wanted. And we've put on uh, uh, quite a few new pizzas that I'm really, really happy about.
1: Let's hear what you're happy about. Uh,
3: we got a new one on there we call the Cherry Bomb. Um, And it's uh, cherry tomatoes and pancetta uh, with mozzarella di bufala, uh, a little bit of pecorino romano. Uh, and mana is so good. Um, we uh, are doing um, um what am I calling? Oh the Pomodoro Royale. Uh, I took a couple of recipes out of my book and I'm using them at the Pizzeria now. Um, Makes sense. The Pomodoro hey, Royale. An idea. Yeah. It's like, oh okay, I figured this out. <laughs> the Pomodoro Royale takes a really uh, historic pizza from Naples, which is there is called the Cossaka. And the cosaca means monk's habit. Uh, and the Kosaka is a very simple pizza. It's just tomato sauce, and then out of the oven, a fresh grating of a hard cheese like a pecorino. Uh, and that's exactly what we do. Um, we add uh, basil to it, and we call it the pomodoro Royale with cheese. Like very that, nice. one very much,
1: very appetizing. It's just a shame that it's noon on an, uh, a day that you're not open, right? No, <laughs> yeah, we're open every day. You're open Monday? Yeah, we're open. Oh, Saturdays I didn't know. Week. I had asked, Kate. We were trying to figure out a time to go with your friends from um, Play Nice PR. Right, right, right. and. Uh, I had proposed tonight, actually. I guess they couldn't make it. I just assumed it wasn't.
3: They, yeah, we're open uh, seven days a week. I'm we'll, glad we we'll cleared
1: clear that up. We wouldn't <laughs> want to... But, I mean, you're not open right now. No, so we're not we can't open can't do right anything about you it. you want
3: pizza right now, you got to go to Trifecta.
1: Yeah, so... Annex. I mean. And then when is Alan... So, Alan, you're talking Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, Obviously, he didn't yeah, go to B.C. Yeah. And when's that looking to... Uh, I have no
3: happen. idea. Um, I actually got this from... Michael Russell wrote a thing on Oregon Live Oh, okay. week. So I didn't get that from Alan.
1: Because I think people would be... You know, one of my favorite pizzas in Connecticut were the two guys who ran Pepe's Kitchen for 15 years. They broke off and opened right. their own place, and it, I loved it. It was okay. I don't have to wait online it, for, in the beginning. Now yeah. you do, but you know that's a that's a good way to enjoy. You know, yeah. I wish something new. Uh,
3: yeah, I, I wish him well. Uh, at the same time, I got some, um, uh, I, I got an opportunity to more directly um, influence the pizzas on the menu at, at my pizzeria. The chef owner relationship is a delicate dance.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that was a long time. Do you have you yeah. hired anybody to replace him, or is it no, not doing? so
3: much. That would have been totally the wrong thing to do. Um, we, uh, I promoted one of our cooks to a sous chef, uh, so now we have two sous chefs running the day to day, with uh, with my oversight. So I'm much more directly involved uh, than I had been for the last couple of years.
1: So how many how many nights a week will we find if we go in there? Do we see you there, doing your thing? Um,
3: yeah, I'm probably the pizzeria two or three evenings a week. During the day, about four or five days a week.
1: Good. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard work. It's fun. So, and what do you do when you're not? Where do you want to travel? Where do you go? What do you What do you like to do?
3: Uh, sometimes I go to Hawaii just to chill. Um, I, no, no place restores my energy like that. But really, for <clears throat> I like going to New York a lot. I always have a lot of ton of fun in New York City.
1: And pizza. I saw
3: David th- Johansson from the New York Dolls doing oh, acoustic Six set last. I
1: worked I at there. the Whiskey O'Gogo <laughs> when David Johansen was there. <laughs> Is that and, right? And I got to meet him, and I—he's yeah, I I, on my spot. I just put him back on my Spotify list. You know, David. Oh, Jer- I, oh, I do. Yes, yeah. And as a matter of fact, they just kind of immortalized him in in vinyl on HBO, which unfortunately isn't going to be picked up. But the New York Dolls were a key part of that. Oh, is that right? Season. I'd love to see that. Yeah, you gotta—you gotta check uh, that. This out. was
3: cool. I saw him do. Uh, it was like an invite only acoustic set with guitars from Blondie. Oh man! A couple of months ago. Yeah,
1: that's the Whiskey a Go Go from 1978. Those they, those were the two acts that were playing there that's very cool um, so what other music do you like I'm all over the
3: map like I'm, I totally am a blues head I love blues music I love jazz um, uh, and I love you know Beethoven and Mozart. Yeah, I'm a big classical fan too rap uh, rap or uh,
1: country because we grew up at the same time so those are the two that I could do without
3: um, country I can enjoy rap I'm not not a fan of what about uh, bluegrass
1: let's go a little step further bluegrass
3: oh totally yeah I used to go to bluegrass festivals <laughs>
1: nah, can't um, do it <laughs> Can't do it. I had a roommate in college that just but, you know, ruined like, my days. Even Led Zeppelin had banjo on it, you know. So. Yeah, well that's but that's different. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> Led Zeppelin David, was not a good I yeah. I went yeah. out and bought this fairly for the time in college, expensive stereo system and I wanted to listen to Van Halen and you know Aerosmith and I'd come home and my roommate it was actually from Connecticut, but by way of Lewis and Clark College in this place called Portland, Oregon, which I didn't know about at the time. And I would come back from classes and just wanna you know, put Zeppelin on or something. And he would be sitting there with his bandana and his moccasins, tapping his foot to David Grisman going down to the river. And I just, ever since then, it's just like, it's been ruined for you. I can't, anytime I hear a song where it says river like that, I just, I can't do it. You're lost, bud. So, and we're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to hear any of that at Ken's, I'm sure. So. I'm not in jeopardy there. I'm going to find every song I can find with
3: River save. and uh do a playlist for when yeah. you show up.
1: I'll be over at a pizza. <laughs> then, then then, that's good for a pizza shoals.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Ken. My pleasure. That was a lot of fun, Chris. Good. Thanks, Corey.
2: Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.